But um, yeah, even like coffee houses are a main place of organizing in certain countries. Other places, it's the pub. But we don't have any kind of space like that. Uh, union organizers here, you know, they're standing outside the parking lot waiting for another coworker to drive by as they leave. And that's oh, a yeah. point of contention with Amazon and stuff. Amazon will even fuck with the traffic signals to st- make it so yeah. that people don't stop for the red light. Yeah, exactly. So I, I think this this controlled demolition of public space is something that I've seen in my lifetime, definitely since the 90s. And with the pandemic, it's on a whole new level. Yeah. Uh, the At least the response to it, whatever you think about its origins, they're using it to... to destroy just even like anything that's that's not on a screen and that's not subject to to surveillance and that's why they're doing that i myself would see that as the endpoint of gladio um there's another another paragraph uh morris continues about yoshitsune and yoritomo yoritomo the older brother um using yoshitsune's uh the search for him as a pretext and you can i i feel like you can you can see you know i mean it's true he would have had to have been an insider but he was naval intelligence again just like p Buttigieg, and uh he somehow has unlimited money he somehow is on cruise ships all the time and we'll get to how he dies but the prolonged search for his brother also allowed yoritomo to find out who were his real friends at court in the temples and elsewhere members of the nobility who had supported Yoshitsune, were dismissed from their posts and sometimes banished. And the imperial government in the capital was reorganized on lines favorable to Kamakura. Um, that happened anyway, but I don't know if... Uh, like, I don't know of any kind of like red purge or, or anything, right? This is totally talking about McCarthyism or something, right? Like um, Anybody who's a fellow traveler with Yoshitsune... Uh, The hero's final service was to take refuge with the northern Fujiwaras and thus give Yoritomo the pretext he needed for eliminating his last potential opponents and for incorporating the vast Oshu territories, uh, that's Mutsu Dewa, the the northeastern territories, into his own domains. So that's interesting because, right, Gladio evolves to the point where, you know, this is getting, as we get further, we... We are getting into territory that's slightly conjectural, but there's so much to connect, like the Brabant shootings, some of the first mass shootings uh, to these Gladio networks and the Bologna train station bombing. The Bologna train station bombing happened in 1980. So Ivan Morris is dead. But uh, that the bomb came from a Gladio stash. We know that. And uh, basically, random terror attacks, random mass shootings. In Germany, there are uh, mass shootings at super- supermarkets. Just guys in black, all black come out of a van and start shooting everyone. And then they run away. And nobody knows why. There's just random violence in public spaces, and you should be afraid of them. And by staging these events, you you can make people turn to the right, sort of by default because they want more authority they want right yeah it doesn't also have to be staged so for example i mean this is the whole gramsci hegemony and ideology thing but uh so for example 
I'm in New York City. I have the wonderful uh, mayor, Eric Adams, who was uh, an NYP sergeant for, I think, 20 years. And he succeeded progressive leftist uh, Bill de Blasio, which uh, the Onion article, they put out essentially a meme of Bill, a picture of Bill de Blasio saying it, it's not so easy finding a mayor who doesn't suck shit because uh, everyone <laughs> hated him. Mm. And now that Adams is here, a lot of people are wishing he came. He was still mayor. Um, yeah. But so, for example, I know, so the mayor here is inaugurated January 1st. Mm. Starting January 1st, there has been a constant blitz of media about how dangerous the public is and how much crime is going on. So I have some local news channel apps on my phone every morning. I wake up, there's mm. several news notification updates about how, like, a baby got shot mm. Uh but they don't mention that it was, you know, a, a unlocked gun in a home. Mm. And, you know, just last week or a few days ago, there was a, a headline that someone got shot on the subway. And mm. all the anchors were saying, you know, they got shot on the subway, even though the mayor said that crime was dropping. Mm. So the, the nice implication there that they're lying to you about how safe it is outside. Yeah, yeah. And they're putting a lot of that on like the homeless population as well. That's going to be uh-huh. a huge locus of organizing. And not by coincidence, uh, there has been a huge media blitz, you know, starting starting 100 years ago, but, you know, intensifying recently. You can look like citations needed is great for this, right? Alec Karakatsanis, also a crucial follow on Twitter, showing how the homeless population is being blatantly uh, slandered and demonized as the source of uh, a phantom crime wave that doesn't exist, and that's justifying all the all the new, all the sweeps, the pressure to sweep them out and get yeah. rid of that source of uh, uprising, right? Because that's where all the people are going that are being liquidated out of the homeowner class or even the renter class. And even the renter class. Yeah. Um, so, but that should tell us, oh, okay. They don't want those people. Uh, th- that's a source of potential possibility. So, yeah, that covers, I think, what I would like to say about Gladio. And he seems, you know, he had unlimited money. Uh, here's a fun little detail from Nobuko. Um I never dared ask, for example, how he could afford our annual cross-Atlantic first-class voyages on the SS France or the QE2, whatever that is. Such questions would have prompted him to scoff in his usual way. Don't be so Osaka Jewish. Uh, Osaka people are rather well known for greeting one another with making money rather than how are you? Yeah, it's like... Um, It was only from reading Ivan's obituary in a morning paper five years after our divorce and many years later from Ved Mehta's article about the legendary New Yorker magazine editor William Sean. I should check that out. Um, What is that about? That I learned about Ivan's grandfather who had built up a huge fortune fortune in Chicago's meatpacking industry and like Mr. Sean's father, 
the meat knife maker, had emigrated from Russia. During my married years, I had quite naively considered my husband and his parents anti-Semitic. She didn't even know he was Jewish. So. Oh. <sighs> so maybe we should just say he isn't Jewish. I don't know. I mean, he doesn't seem to identify as Jewish, but he has this kind of masochistic, it sounds like masochistic anti-Semitism. I don't know. Not qualified to say much on that. Oh, when I asked Ivan uh, why, actually, um, Ayako pronounces his name Ivan. So maybe he even affected a well affect I don't know he he pronounced his name Ivan which is very continental now isn't it? Also not British though British kind of say it like us Ivan. So yeah, I think he was not trying British. to go for an air of mystery. Yeah, international man of mystery. When I asked Ivan why he had been given a Russian name, he replied laconically because mother was reading the brothers Karamazov when she was pregnant. I have read the novel twice since and i confess i would not have liked to name my own son after that particular character ivan karamazov i think that can't be right that has to be a cover for something and one thing that it could be is that a white russian writer who was in paris at the time was um ivan Bunin. his prose was known as being like brocade uh or something um, in his defense, he was not in favor of invasions or special operations against the Soviet Union. He was kind of a peace, slightly more peacenik white Russian, but a, a refugee nonetheless, an emigre nonetheless. So I, I, I don't know, because his mother disappears. This is the other thing about his childhood. And, and Nobuko kind of has this like, oh, that's what you get from race mixing kind of attitude oh, about gosh. it, which... Yeah, she's writing in this particular kind of milieu, which includes a lot of British like diplomats and mucky mucks, I think, that contribute to this book and would read this book. And so she's very open about that kind of thing. She's like, um, I was so grateful for my own upbringing as of a single race and a single class because I, Yvonne had such a hard time uh, because of his this all this race mixing. And... Uh, Nice and nationalist. Or something. Yeah. Well, race racist, definitely. Is she nationalist? I think she's very British. She's known actually as she's married to Lord Albury. So she's actually known as Nobuko Lady Albury. Now, she has a title in the British aristocracy. So I guess Ivan's punctilious pronunciation lessons were good for something after all. And I think when you're in that world, there's something superseding nationalism. You know, these these titles and things go back to like the Crusades. This is like the the West or or something as a as a whole is is the focus of your loyalty. I don't know that she's super loyal to Japan, right? Like she's I saw elsewhere, like she doesn't consider herself Japanese and so on. You know, she's she's an international person, as they say here in Japan. But um, but nevertheless, yeah, not being the subject of race mixing marks you as maybe a, a cl in a higher class. And I think that's maybe that's what really matters to someone like this. She also said uh, she mentions at one point 
going together with a demonstration of Ira, Ivan's father, right? Ira in Ivan's eye represented both charmed sloth and a pointlessly hectic existence of a non-achiever. Ira had traveled the world many times and befriended many famous politicians and writers, had funded a charity in Hiroshima to help atom bomb victims, had written a few forgotten novels in his youth and more, but he remained a rich old American child abroad. He spoke bad French with an American accent, spent his days and nights on the telephone chatting to his cronies in Paris or its suburbs, all races and colors mixed, who liked being invited to nail uh, for luncheons, that's his country villa, plotting how to subvert the American war in Vietnam. In fact, he became president of the Americans in Paris against the war in Vietnam, and we too joined their demonstrations, Ivan muttering to himself all the while, oh, how embarrassing, so embarrassing, unmitigated torture, and so on. After one such demonstration, the mother and son ganged up together to denounce Americans as yahoos, their major crime was to, quote, overexist and be embarrassing. Ira chortled in good humor in agreement. Since that night, the word entered our family jargon, and I, who have only grateful memories of GI soldiers throwing out chewing gum, felt squeamish every time I followed them in calling Americans yahoos. I also could not help wondering why Ivan seldom told people that he had served in the American forces during the war. Though he talked freely about his years at the BBC World Service. Although I will say in Ayako's account, this is the time period when he was joining MI6 and there was some question as to like supposedly he had to quit actually and not become a spy, not be a spy anymore as he was during the war because he was married to a Japanese national and they still had a thing where you couldn't do that. I know even today, like you couldn't be married to a Russian or married to a Chinese person and get the top security clearances or anything because they're considered enemy nations, right? What else do we want to talk about? So the Japanese side of Gladio, you are right that there was so, – it's weird in Japan. You know, there's – they're hands-off in certain ways, in certain ways, much more than Korea or Taiwan. Korea and Taiwan are the front lines of the Cold War. Japan is one step at least back from that. So they do allow Japan quite a lot of freedom to, to act like a de democratic uh, country. But they also uh, exercised plenty of control in other ways. And there were Gladio-like incidents. Um, you have the three great mysteries of the National Railroad, one of which was like the, the, the train derailment. A lot of these are train derailments in like Mitaka. A train derailed and plowed into the station and killed some people. And they set up a show trial to try to convict the local communist, the local um train drivers union leaders uh, but they were able to prove that they were in a bathhouse at the time and they weren't there so they weren't convicted it didn't work to pin that on the left there's several of those one of those the head of the national railroad disappears and is found dead after apparently his body was put on the train tracks and then hit by a train the mysteries like that um there's some terror attacks that they try the place of organizing like why do they have to go after trains oh, yeah. so much yeah so there's a huge train system in japan you know for passenger rail and of course also freight but uh yeah that's a huge source of organizing in the immediate post-war i have an episode um the title is like marx forgot to 
consider probably um, about how in the wake of the defeat, the workers just came together and started running the factories. And there's this whole economy of autonomous worker run enterprises that are trading with each other over the rail lines, which are being run by the rail unions that spontaneously formed, you know, they weren't allowed to have unions during the war, but after the war, they start from zero, make unions. Those unions now run Soviets, basically, and they start running the economy. I think you pointed out in, in, in chat, right? MacArthur then ruthlessly crushes this in collaboration with the Japanese bourgeoisie whom they were, you know, carefully protecting and reinstalling. Uh, so there's that. Yeah, but the rails, that's huge. That still is, you know, there's vestiges. Um, but yeah, they don't, there aren't mass shootings, right? There are mass stabbings. There's all kinds of mass stabbings that you could think about. You know, I think people haven't done the, the, there's stuff out there, you know, I'd like to do a lot more reading. I think in general, they do a better job of destroying the documents. So we might not know a lot of stuff, but. But actually, here's one that I found that's extremely relevant here. The, on uh, on January 26, 1948, a man calling himself an epidemiologist arrived in a branch of the Imperial Bank, Teikoku Ginko, a.k.a. Teigin for short, right, in Shinamachi, a suburb of Toshima, Toshima Ward, Tokyo, before closing time. He explained that he was a public health official sent by U.S. occupation authorities who had orders to inoculate the staff against a sudden outbreak of dysentery. He gave all 16 people present a pill and a few drops of liquid. Those present drank the liquid he gave, which was later thought to be nitrile hydrocyanide, an assassination intoxicant, originally developed at the Noborito Laboratory. And that was a site where a lot of unconventional weapons uh, were being developed during the war. And they would have been under the control of American military authorities at this time. When all were incapacitated, the robber took some money, not a lot of money, lying on the desks. Uh, it amounted to 160,000 yen, about 2,000 U.S. at the time. But he left the majority behind, leaving his motive unknown. Ten of the victims died at the scene. One was a child of an employee, and two others died while hospitalized. And it seems like a random artist was just arrested and found guilty, but then no justice minister ever signed his death warrant because they recognized that it was just a show trial and he was clearly not guilty. But the nature of the weapon used, the chemical agent used is reminds one of the anthrax attacks right after 9-11 which were found to be an aerosolized form of anthrax that only could have come from u.s military uh stashes right and you know the guy that they ultimately fingered uh, you know killed himself and all of that but among the the very strangest reactions to this event at the time, it was this. It was obvious to me from the start that this extraordinary crime was part of a secret pact with the problem of beauty. 
This crime went so far beyond comprehensible norms that any talk of motive is surely redundant. The perpetrator's profound insensitivity toward human suffering was matched by his exquisite sensitivity toward his own actions, a sensitivity that suffused his unique powers of imagination. Clearly, an act that should have been carried out conceptually within the world of beauty had for some reason veered in the wrong direction and spilled outside. Considered in purely aesthetic terms, this crime was an ugly one. But this was not an ugliness of essence. It was the ugliness that is manifest when the good and the evil of mankind, all the creative possibilities that we call humanity, are condensed into a single event, a crime. Works of art are things of imperfect beauty. If ever a work of art is made perfect, it becomes a crime. This perverse analysis was written by a virtually unknown 23-year-old novelist named Mishima Yukio. This has been a free preview of a premium episode of the Kingless Generation podcast. If you'd like to hear the rest of it, please head on down to patreon.com look for the kingless generation and for the low proletarian price of 333 a month you can become a member of the kingless generation and you get access to the discord the full catalog of premium episodes to help you understand the deep history of class struggle and organize for revolutionary change in relations of production thanks so much for listening <laughs>